electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Memorial Day weekend is just about here. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy has opened up the state's beaches just in time, but with caution. I want to open up as much as anybody. Trust me. Want to get folks back to work as fast as possible. But if we screw up the public health piece, none of that will happen. And Coca-Cola CEO James Quincy on the spending of the global consumer. The economic impact of the lockdown is just starting to begin. And we do see a protracted adjustment coming along. It's Thursday, May 21st, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Memorial Day weekend has just about arrived, and Americans are ready to assume some sense of summer normalcy, including heading to the beach. New Jersey has slowly been greenlighting parks and non-essential businesses as part of its reopening plan. And now, just in time for the unofficial start of summer, the Jersey Shore is back as well. New Jersey is one of the state's hardest hit by the coronavirus pandemic, with the death toll now over 10,000. And that hits close to home for many of the Squawk Box team. As you'll hear, Joe and Becky both live in the Garden State. And as you might know, CNBC headquarters and many of our colleagues are based there. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy joined Squawk Box this morning to share some of his reopening strategy. Here's Joe. Governor, welcome. You you getting any sleep? (laughs) I am, Joe. Good to be back with you. It's good to see you also. Uh, Bring us up to date, up to speed on uh, what stage we're in right now and, and... and whether we're the Garden State where I live as well, uh, is it really the right time in terms of all the, the statistics? Are we, are, are we within all the guidelines in terms of... Uh, yeah. We are. Okay, go ahead, Governor. Joe, I think we are, but this is a delicate balance without question. First of all, we've lost over 10,700 blessed lives, which is almost unfathomable. It is unfathomable. Uh, having said that, hospitalizations, new hospitalizations, ICU beds ventilator use, all the things that we track have been going in the right direction now for more than a couple of weeks. And so we've begun to take what I would call baby steps. Admittedly, beaches is a big step uh, in that list, but we've had a bias toward opening things up first that are outdoors and loosening that. So for instance, parks, county and state parks, we did a few weekends ago. Beaches, as I mentioned, curbside pickup earlier this week for non-essential retail. Uh, We've opened up construction more. Again, a bias toward the outside because that's where the virus can can, uh, do less damage. Uh, But this weekend's a big one with beaches. Governor, have you ever seen anything like this? And and I I know what kind of world we're living in right now. This is the Post uh, today. I mean, a a major news, I don't know, is the Post a major newspaper? It needs to end now. And, And I can look at the Daily News And I could find a cover that says, are you out of your minds to even consider stepping out of your house? So it it, and you look at the polls and it's like so weird. It's like 90 percent of Republicans say one thing and 90 percent of Democrats say the opposite. How do you how do you walk the line? You've got an economy in New Jersey. 
that you want to, you know, you want people to go back to work, but we don't want anyone to die. It's so weird to watch, yeah. Governor. It, listen, I'm not, uh, I, I, I'm in violent agreement. This is something unlike we've ever seen before. We, we do have a pretty uh, uh, clear-eyed focus on a couple of different guiding principles. First of all, data. We're, we're as moneyball as we can be, and we say all the time that data determines dates. And then more broadly, public health creates economic health. So we chose to rip the Band-Aid off the economy, which has been extraordinary pain, extraordinarily painful for uh, job loss, for small businesses, for many of our sectors. But the alternative was to let the virus go, or in this case, open up too early, in which case I think it's throwing gasoline on the fire, not just on the public health piece of this, but you also have a much deeper hole ultimately economically. So as, as much as the, I want to open up as much as anybody, but trust me, I want, want to get folks back to work as fast as possible, uh, get small businesses back up on their feet. But if we screw up the public health piece, none of that will happen. And that's really the, the, the side that we need to err on. There's so many different um, conflicting wins on, on how to go. We want herd immunity. We initially wanted to make sure we had enough ventilators and that the healthcare system wasn't overrun. It, but it was never stipulated right at the beginning that no one would ever catch the virus again, because that's impossible. And, and it wasn't that we were going to stay inside till we absolutely get a, a vaccine that works. So what, what changed? What, what, do, what are we trying to do? God? I mean, it, it, that's why people want to, the, the vulnerable population, you want to try to uh, sequester those people and maybe the people that are, are going to get through it okay are able to go back to work. Are you thinking about, you must be thinking about that all the time, how to do that. All the time, Joe. And, and, and one of the big pieces that's important to note is we need the right infrastructure in place, not just for us to be confident, but more importantly, for the 9 million New Jerseyans to be confident that they could begin to dip their toe back in the water. And, and big pieces of that are, number one, we've ramped up testing. That's a dramatically different reality than even the last time I was on with you. We're now going to be able to, by the end of next week, we'll be doing over 20,000 tests a day in the state. Secondly, contact tracing between a, an amped-up body of folks who are getting on the phone and, and, and speaking to people along with, with technology. Those are two realities that we have in the state today that that no state had when this whole thing started. That's intended to give folks the confidence that, you know what, if we, if we see a flare-up, we could spot it quickly. We've got a plan in place to isolate that. Uh, and so that gives folks the confidence they can get back out there on the boardwalk, get to the park, do other things that I hope will be able to open up over the next several weeks. Becky. Governor, that was kind of my question, too. You answered part of it. But we've been speaking with Scott Gottlieb every day, the, the, head of the, the former head of the FDA, his concern I love him. Jersey is guy, by the way. Will, yeah, yeah, and his concern is that things are going to die down uh, in July and August. That's the good news. But his concern is it will come back in the fall, kind of like H1N1 has in the past. Yep. He's concerned that we won't be ready for that, that we won't track it quickly enough. Um, how, how, how do we do that? Where are all these testing places going to be? His concern was that it wouldn't be done in doctor's offices. There would be some, simply coronavirus testing places that you had to go to, and he doesn't think that's enough. And the contact tracing that you mentioned, I live in New Jersey, too, and I, I don't know anything about that yet. By the way, we, we got, you got a lot of Jersey blood on the show, which is another reason I love coming on this. <laughs> yeah. uh, Listen, I, uh, Scott's, Scott's a, a rock star, and, and he's a guy we look to and speak to 
uh, and, and, and you hear that from him and you hear it from other experts that this thing could come back in yeah. uh, in the fall with a vengeance, which is why on our sort of six-stop road to recovery, the sixth point is resiliency. Uh, and, and by that, we mean really two things. One is this virus is, has torn open uh, in full public view awful inequities, particularly along racial lines in our society. And secondly, to your question, Becky, it's resiliency in making sure we've got the bed capacity, ventilator capacity, PPE, healthcare, uh, bullpen help, uh, the medicines, et cetera, that we didn't have either as a nation or certainly in our state when this started, that we've got that in, in our stockpile, if you will, uh, in, in anticipation of, God willing, I hope it doesn't happen, but if we get that second wave, and that's another area that we're focused laser-like on right now. I mean, great news to, to have a lot of the things prepared that we didn't in the past, hospital beds, PPE. But, I, I mean, I'm thinking of this as a parent, and if I send my kids back to school in the fall, I want to know immediately if there's an outbreak somewhere so that I know how to protect my family, particularly if I have any vulnerable members of my family. How, how can you yeah. make sure we know that quickly and immediately? Yeah, well, testing is a big part of that, and, and we've scaled it up and we'll continue to scale it up. Uh, just a couple of examples to Scott's point, Rite Aid, we just announced a couple of days ago, is going to have 50 locations testing uh, by the end of next week. Walmart's going to have seven of their big superstores doing drive-through testing uh, by tomorrow. Uh, so every day, it seems, we announce a new expansion of this. And that's going to have to include, listen, we, we had a, we've, we've established a group of wise women and men to advise us in the three big tough nuts that we've got to give people confidence uh, on sooner than later are daycare, uh, schools, public transportation. And, and you, you just said something as a mom, I'm a dad. I mean, you've got to have confidence that you've got the testing, uh, the quick, rapid turnaround ability to track that down, the contact tracing. You've got a plan in place to isolate any hotspots should they come up. And people have to believe that. And that's what we're focused on. Governor, can you speak a little bit about the conversations you've had with the teachers unions in your state and what you anticipate doing with teachers that either have uh, pre-existing conditions, comorbidities, or uh, are, are of, of an age. And by the way, some of the most legendary, greatest teachers uh, in your state and around this country um, happen to have been in the business for a long time. So they're, they're older. And for them to yep. actually go to school and to work creates certain challenges, as you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a, a crisp easy to, to speak answer on this. That's probably the most complicated part about back to school. So we've been virtual. We'll continue that through the end of this school year. We're trying to find a way. I hope we'll have some news on this uh, by tomorrow to allow folks to celebrate uh, responsibly their graduation. Um, we, we talk about several lives every day in our press conference of people we've lost. Invariably, Joe, there's a teacher in there, uh, and it's somebody, as you suggest, who's been, who was at it for like 50 or 60 years uh, the, the unions have been fabulous. Uh, we have the number one public education system in America, uh, and we want to keep it that way. Uh, but we've got to find a way, I think, we responsibly, uh, not just for the moms and dads, as, to Becky's point, that you could have kids back together in some responsible social distancing way, but that you're protecting uh, cr the cross-generational uh, aspect of this virus. I don't have a crisp answer for you, but I suspect it's a lot of social distancing. Uh, uh, probably a decent dose of virtual learning uh, and a whole lot of testing uh, on a regular basis going on. I would bet those are the ingredients. Governor, um, 
be nice if some small businesses were, were deemed essential, I guess. That's a problem. And, and I, I'm not necessarily just talking about hair salons, but can, can you give me any idea uh, when I'm going to be able to, to maybe do that? Or what about an indoor restaurant with, uh, with some separation and, and some masks with, with all the staff? Yep. What, what's the date for those types of things? I don't have a date, but I would hope it is a matter of weeks. If we keep seeing the, the curves and the progress that we've seen, uh, and we've got to make sure that's the most important piece of this, uh, we'll, we've already started this now for several weeks. We've, we've done this sort of in, uh, iterative steps. Outside's easier than inside, so the toughest nuts to crack are inside, no ventilation, sedentary. Uh, and so that means indoor dining is going to be more complicated uh, than outdoor dining. Uh, the, the barbershop, which all of us need, uh, the, the, the salon, uh, the gym, uh, those are complicated. I, I am hopeful that with the progress we've been making, uh, that, that that's a matter of weeks. We do have non-essential retail allowing curbside pickup as of this uh, past Monday. Uh, I hope we'll continue to see progress on that front. And as I say, I, I would point you to a matter of weeks uh, hopefully when we get some of that stuff open. So one thing, I feel like I was just at the gym stretching to do this horrific uh, thing that, that, I, that I have to do. So I'm not that, leave those closed. For, no, I need to go back. Uh, that's not true. We do need to get those open too. And all those people uh, are, need paychecks too, Governor. A lot of, you bet. Uh, a lot of people I care about that, uh, that need that. Anyway, as I said, get some sleep. Hopefully uh, this is just for you and for, for people that have the weight of these decisions on their shoulders. I can't even imagine. But uh, appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Becky. Good to be with you, and happy Memorial Day to everybody. You too. Next on Squawk Pod, Coca-Cola Chairman and CEO James Quincy. We're going to have to recognize that coming after this virus crisis will be the economic impact uh, and hangover of, of the lockdown, and there'll be a much greater focus by consumers on affordability um, and getting the price points lower. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. At the start of 2020, when we were just learning about the coronavirus, Coca-Cola popped to an all-time high, trading around $60 a share. But as businesses came to a halt and consumers were told to stay home in March, the stock plunged 25% in April. Since then, shares have rebounded a bit, 16%. Roughly half of the company's revenue comes from -from away-from-home channels like restaurants, movie theaters, and stadiums. In China, which began easing stay-at-home orders in April, demand for Coke beverages in May has not yet recovered to pre-crisis levels. For more on Coke and the global consumer, here's Andrew Ross Sorkin with Coca-Cola CEO James Quincy. James, it's great to see you this morning. I want to start with this. About a month ago, uh, when you were reporting, you were talking about volumes uh, being down about 25 percent. That was about 30 days ago. How does it look right now? Uh, Yeah, we're still seeing uh, in May uh, globally negative volumes. Uh, They are a little bit better than they they were in April. 
uh, principally driven by the degree of lockdown. There, there are some markets where the lockdown is being eased. It's not fully open, but it's not as locked down as it was. And so we're seeing uh, some improvements uh, in countries where the lockdowns are coming up, but still still quite negative versus prior year. Uh, very early days uh, in the reopening phase. To the degree that, that your experience in China uh, may offer us a little bit of a, a path forward, what are you seeing there, not just in terms of the supply chain, and we'll get to that in a moment, but in terms of the way the consumer is behaving? But again, I, I imagine it goes to some of the social distancing and other requirements uh, that are in place there. Yeah, a couple of effects in China. I mean, clearly uh, things have improved in China from, uh, from a demand point of view. There, where there is social distancing, of course, it is uh, meaning that sales in those channels are not back to the sorts of levels they were pre-crisis, uh, pre-the virus. Uh, I think the other thing that we're still trying to gauge uh, in places like China and globally is you've got a big inventory effect, which wouldn't be uh, normally uh, something to really worry about at a global level. But when the lockdowns occur, uh, shop retailers stop buying um, and still keep selling to some degree. So when the, when the reopening starts, there's a restocking phase. So we, we are certainly being cautious uh, where sales are, are, are looking uh, like they're improving as to try and understand how much is the consumer and how much is restocking. And I think for manufacturers like us, we're going to have consumer products. We're going to, see, we're going to need to see uh, some more months, uh, at least some more weeks go by before we can really gauge uh, what the consumer is doing. But it certainly looks like uh, in a place like China where, frankly, we, in February we were down 90%, uh, that we're coming back uh, in May, even though not to pre-crisis levels yet. What percentage of the business is grocery versus restaurants versus events, stadiums and the like. How would you break that down? Yeah, for the clo- for Coca-Cola globally, the simplest way to look at it is about half of our business is the, all the collection of uh, at home where you buy and you consume at home and half of our business is away from home. Uh, principally restaurants, cafes, on-the-go outlets and stadiums are, are a smaller piece of that, but there is a whole series of channels um, uh, that add up to away from home. But in total, it's about half of our business, and that's the bit that's been most impacted by the lockdown. So the effect of the lockdowns is very concentrated uh, on the away-from-home channels. Uh, there's some improvement at, in at-home and the e-commerce that goes with at-home, but not nearly enough, as we, as we pointed out in our April uh, update, uh, not enough to compensate for the away-from-home sales that we're losing. Uh, James, uh, historically, Coca-Cola has been one of the largest global advertisers in, in the world. And that, of course, has a trickle down effect uh, when, in fact, uh, you stop advertising or you slow advertising. Speak to that in terms of how you're thinking about marketing, what that marketing spend looks like and maybe what kind of channels you plan to use in the future. And if that shifts. Yeah. In the very short term uh, of the second quarter, we made a decision that uh, a lot of that money was going to be ineffectively spent. And, and frankly, uh, some of that resource it needed to be redirected uh, at helping uh, in all the community actions. We spent well over $100 million uh, in community support actions around the world. So we wanted to have less advertising, one, because we didn't think it would work from a financial point of view, and two, just as importantly, we thought it would be tone deaf uh, in the heart of the crisis. Uh, so we came down very drastically uh, in the second quarter. As we look uh, to the second half uh, and into 2021, 
Clearly, we're going to start to uh, do more marketing activities. Um, we'll see uh, some channel shifts. Uh, clearly, what we're going to uh, uh, also be focusing on it on that is, you know, where does reactivation need to occur? We're going to be spending marketing dollars to help bring uh, the away from home channels back up. Uh, we're going to have to recognize that coming after this virus crisis will be the economic impact uh, and hangover of, of the lockdown. And there'll be a much greater focus by consumers on affordability um, and getting the price points lower. So our marketing will shift both in terms of where we advertise and, and what we're trying to support, the behavior we're trying to support, and uh, understanding that there's going to be a different uh, consumer uh, out-of-pocket money uh, reality uh, for some period of time. And the other question I was going to ask is you have prioritized what you call your core brands during this, this period. What happens to all of the other brands that you were trying to build? I've become an addict of the AHA. That's how you pronounce it, right? AHA uh, sparkling water. But I imagine that was a new brand for you. So it's probably not going to be getting the same kind of marketing attention, nor the same kind of shelf space that it might have in your plans just three or four months ago. Uh, good news for you is the, that AHA will be. We're, we're very pleased uh, with, uh, with how that's gone, even uh, in the crisis. The, the simple reality in the short term is uh, for the retailers uh, in the middle of the lockdown, uh, they needed to focus on less SKUs to keep the supply chain running. With all the complications of running their operations around the world from big stores to small stores, they needed fewer SKUs. And that naturally leads all the manufacturers to pull back on the innovation. You can't really engage with the consumers to tell them about it, and it clogs up the supply chain. So we, I think many others, focused in on the core brands and the core package sizes to make the supply chain run uh, around the world uh, and for the retailers. And that was really important thing to do in the lockdown, to make sure we didn't uh, run out of food and beverages around the world. Um, as we look forward, clearly we'll be bringing back the innovation. Um, uh, it's it's going to be tougher. There's going to be a kind of recessionary environment. So we have gone and we are going through a process of prioritizing which of the innovations did we uh, really think were starting to work at the beginning of this year and continue to back them. Uh, in the rest of the year, are being one of them. Which are the ones that, uh, you know, for prioritization, we're not going to do in the second half of year, this year. Maybe we'll keep them to next year. And there'll be some where we'll decide the mood uh, and the way the world is going in the next 12 months. That innovation is no longer the right thing. I mean, it seems um, a very long time ago, January, uh, sitting here today, and, and the mood has changed. And, and so some of those innovations need to be parked uh, and, and kept, kept in the draw for another year. Going back to stadiums to some degree, but I'm thinking more broadly in terms of sports, uh, you have sponsored uh, lots of different sports leagues, including the NBA and Olympics and so many other things. What kind of conversations are you having uh, with the leagues, with the television networks, either about pulling money back, pushing them to go forward and press ahead with or without people in the audience? Does that make those sponsorships to you less valuable? How are you guys, how are you managing through that? Uh, absolutely tricky, very tricky. I mean, clearly there's a couple of effects here. Uh, we, we have these sponsorships with multiple uh, sports events, stadiums. Actually, there's a, there's a whole series of things, concerts, et cetera, et cetera, which are not going to be able to go ahead, at least in the way uh, that they were envisaged 
uh, a few months ago. And, and we're going to have to have the conversations. We are having the conversations with them about, you know, how are they thinking about going ahead? How are they applying uh, the necessary government and medical guidelines? What are they imagining uh, they're going to do in terms of uh, uh, whether they're going to have the events, not have the events, have them in a different way, and, and what that means to the sponsors. And, of course, we, like uh, many other sponsors, will be there going, okay, so what's, what's the new deal? How can we... Uh, how can we manage through this together? I'm sure in the long term, uh, many of these will be still fantastic uh, properties and there's a lot of things we can do together uh, in partnership. Uh, but we do, have to, we do have to cross the bridge to get there. And in some, in some cases, that'll mean uh, renegotiations. It's, it's a new reality. Um, uh, everything's been shaken up and we have to prioritize the, the money we spend uh, where, it'll, where it'll be effective. So I think there will be, uh, there will be changes coming um, uh, in the coming months as, 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 as we work through these problems. Um, separately, uh, you, your, your headquarters is in the great state of Georgia. Georgia has moved to reopen, was one of the, was one of the first to reopen. Can you just speak to, to your own personal experience on the ground? Yeah, sure. I mean, Georgia um, has, has loosened up some of uh, parts of the lockdown, not the, whole, not the whole thing. And, of course, like many other states and actually many other parts of the world, uh, the local cities – uh, also have a, a role to play in their own sets of rules. Uh, we in our large complex uh, in Atlanta uh, are still prioritizing um, that uh, the people that go to the complex are those whose jobs most depend on being there, lab technicians, uh, other sorts of jobs which are really uh, are very dependent on being the location and keeping everyone else working remotely uh, as many as we can. Um, and we certainly see that running uh, through the summer, at the end of the day, even those um, places where lockdown is being eased, they're still asking to maintain social distancing. And the best the way that we can achieve that uh, for the safety of our employees and everyone else who comes to the complex is to prioritise those people who most need to be there uh, and to ask the rest uh, to maximise the amount of time they're still working from home. So we still see a very extended period of time with this uh, duality um, and a low occupancy in our offices so that we can uh, promote physical distancing. Um, and, and I think that reality is going to carry forward uh, for some period of time, uh, even as the kind of the hard lockdowns ease. And we right. see that around the world. Uh, we only have a very few offices um, almost as open as they were uh, prior to the crisis. Most of them are in this phase uh, of low occupancy so that we can prioritize those that most need to be there. Hey, James, um, real quick, do you see a dis- given what you're saying, which seems to be a, a longer timeline than a lot of people are thinking about, do you see a disconnect between the markets, if you will, and the real economy in terms of where you see the world 12 months from now? Uh, we're, we're very focused. We, we looked at every crisis that we've been in for 134 years, and we know we've emerged stronger from every single one ahead of GDP recovery. Uh, but I'm very uh, much of the view that this is going to be a U or more of an extended U recovery than a V recovery. Uh, and and where the markets may be anticipating some time ahead, but on, on the ground in the economy, uh, there are a lot of people who are on unemployment or on furloughs in, on the European schemes. The economic impact of the lockdown is just starting to begin. And we do see a protracted adjustment coming along. We will emerge strong from that. We always have. Um, but that's what we see ahead. James, I uh, want to uh, say thank you for joining us this morning. We appreciate all your insights and your perspective. We wish you and all your employees 
Uh, a lot of luck again. We appreciate you being with us, James, and uh, look forward to having you back on Squawk very soon. Good luck. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, how we're coping staying at home. Back after this. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. So I'm trying to figure out. It's confusing. Is time going quickly or was March a long time ago? Because time is going really quickly, but early March was a long time ago. It's both. It's that Groundhog's Day cycle. It's the same day every single day. I can't even check the days off. You know, I I measured how long it was because my hair was so long yesterday. I had to chop it. It it was something like 14 weeks since I'd gotten it cut. I couldn't do it. I I saw you were cutting your hair. Uh, You did a good job. I didn't. Thank you. I didn't know for you it would be such a priority because it does just seems like you can just grow it and it gets longer and it doesn't oh really matter. Oh my gosh, it was so heavy. You watch me on the spy cam. What, most of what I do in the commercial breaks is try to get my hair out of my face. I can't take it. Yeah, but for for you know what you know what's happening to me, the 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 the, the Twitter trolls Your hair got are, cut. No, the twi- the Twitter trolls are back on the. It's a it's a toupee again. So, it, you know, oh. I, that was gone for a while when it was, sh- I mean. You were wearing that, your shaggy toupee? They're not that smart because I'd have to have, number one, who would pay good money for this? And number two <laughs> is, is uh, what, I got 10 different ones and it, it slowly gets longer and longer and longer. And then it goes back, you know, it, for, for a while it was the dye. Oh, you're dying. But it, now it's back to, it's working. You got no problem. You got, you know, shirts get clean. Your hair gets cut. All, you get you, you get, I cut you my get, own hair. You got big screens behind I you. I trim it all the time. Great you did that lighting. Yourself? Uh, are you really cutting it? All, all by myself. I'm really cutting it all by myself. I I'm going to do. I'll do a YouTube impressive. or a, uh, a Instagram something. And I honestly show you thought how. you had I, a. I've gotten it down. I thought you had a friend bubble stylist on retainer up in Connecticut with you. Nope. That's what I <laughs> thought. Nope. That's why, along with it, I the, bought scissors the off nannies, of Amazon. The double nannies, the chef, and, and the. I had my the, scissors no. on Amazon, too. <laughs> all right. You know, we, nope, we don't want to focus on this. This is all being done. This is all being done personally. So is it. And we is, don't. There's are no. You cooking? There's, there's no nothing here. Oh, I, that's what we're I was cooking. Gonna, are you cooking? We're cooking, cooking every single stuff? night. You're cooking every your, single not night. Not we, are you? Pilar is cooking every you. single night. I am helping. <laughs> I am helping. I've actually. A little bit. Not as much as I probably should. But I've become great mm-hmm. at, I'm, I'm like Mr. Dishes, I'm Mr. Vacuum, I'm Mr. Ironing, I'm Mr. Laundry. Those are my, my, my new and better skills. What, assigning those duties fairly? Is that what you're doing? Nope. <laughs> nope. 
Nope. And we are producing, by the way, and we've had this, we've done this story, but we were talking about it in our house because we just had to pay up extra. We are producing so much garbage now because everything's coming into the, you know, you're, you're eating everything in the house yeah. that yeah. actually our garbage folks send us a note saying that we were, we needed to get an extra, um, you know, garbage thing. Garbage bin. And we yeah. have to pay extra because well, apparently our garbage guy is spending too much time on it. I think the, the waste management yeah, guy that, sure. that, that we had on said that, that they see that, not commercial, but they're seeing it with, with, the, with the residential people. Are, are you? Yeah. Are, yep. we, I Jim can't Fish, believe we're still talking. He was raising rates because Just of that. One more yeah. thing. It, and we're trying paying to, more. It's trying to figure out a meal gotten to the point where they're like, not again. It's like, uh, when did we run out yes. of things to suddenly it's like burgers, chicken, can have a, 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 a maybe get a steak occasionally. Right. And then it's like, then I'm back to where are we? I, and it's like, we just had this. Why, when, why did we run out of food? Because we have no takeout now or something? Or Yes, because we're doing it all ourselves. It's okay. crazy. Taco nights. I'm, I'm trying to so get I'm a little, put a I'm trying to vary it up every once in a while, but it's hard. It is. Andrew, so I'm going to put a plug in for a lo- I'm going to put a plug in for a local business, which um, a local business in New York City that actually has changed everything we're doing. So Italy, you know, the this yep. is the the uh, sort of supermarket in New York City. They are now sending and they'll send you boxes anywhere you want and they won't tell you what's in it. You you pay. It's a, it's, it's not cheap, but you, they just send you groceries and it's, it's random and we've been making all sorts of different dinners every night because you, you do what's in the box, and That's it's been great. Cool. And, they think and we just started doing you. that a couple weeks but ago, you don't and know we've been having advanced? a ball doing it. I, you I, don't get to pick I, I what's mean, in the box. I guess it's Italian so. food, so everybody likes it. But it's Italian food, so everybody likes it. Everybody right? likes it. We, it's, it we, never, yeah. we never go wrong. We've, we've, I think we're three weeks in, and every week we've been – it's like Christmas when we get the box. We open it up, and it's very exciting. Well, now I'm thinking <laughs> – I was thinking today I might get one of those hams. You know what I mean? One of those honey-baked hams that people get yeah. for, for holidays. Spiral ham. And I'm thinking I'm going to get pushback. Yeah. No, I, but I did one for Easter. I'm going to get pushback. I, I did it for it's Easter. Not, it was really good. It's not a holiday. So you can't – you're ruining it. You can't get it if it's not ho- – but they last, you know. You get the slices. You can have sandwiches. The other thing can, is pork tenderloin. Yeah, okay. pork tenderloin and beef tenderloin. I've been, like, doing some of those recipes and all things. Right. We're all, all good. These, you know, once again – at least Turkey we can buy. At least Turkey we can buy. At least we can buy the food that we're talking about. And, and once again, our one percent of right. problems probably don't sound 100%. very percent very good to people that are, are really struggling a lot more than we are. So I'll keep that in mind. Yep. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at six a.m. Eastern, and subscribe to Squawk Pod. Share it with friends and tweet us at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.